Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Real privilege to be with you. Can I bring to you the greetings from the church where I serve? Uh, to you it's exciting to hear about what God is doing here in Manchester and it's lovely to see it now with my own eyes so uh, great to be with you if you have a Bible please turn to that passage we had read to us Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 to 6 and uh, when you when you first read this I don't know if you if you've got a Bible in front of you uh, in my one it's got the heading further instructions further instructions it sounds a little bit when somebody does that that the apostle Paul has got to the end of his scroll and he's got a bit of space and he just throws in some random ideas just to fill up the last little bit of space further instructions what does that mean well I don't think that's right actually I think what he's actually doing he's 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 been arguing a case and it's uh, impressively reasoned logical and applied to the lives of a fairly small at the time Christian church to encourage them his, his, his argument has really started in chapter 3 verse 1 since you have been raised with Christ you have a new relationship with Jesus Christ so he talks about you and Christ that's the first relationship he thinks about and he tells you what to do with that put to death what belonged to your past life and earthly nature and live for Christ and, and then as, as he works through that in Colossians 3 uh, verse 8, you must rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Then verse 9, notice the subtle change, do not lie to each other. So he's talking about you and Christ, then he looks about you and other Christians. And for the next few verses, it's all about relationships in a Christian church. You and Christ, you and Christians. And then he talks about you at home, you and your family, wives, husbands, children parents he gives us some insights into how we live for Christ in our home and then he thinks about you at work let's take the worst case scenario slaves and masters you at work and then finally he comes to you and outsiders people who are not yet part of God's family Uh, the whole section here verse 4 he's thinking about living and acting towards outsiders can you see how the circle has moved from you and Christ you and Christians you and your family you at work you and outsiders it's part of a consistent stream of thought and it's designed to help a church how do we how do we ensure that everyone around us hears the good news how does that happen so these are his insights so this isn't just sort of random ideas thrown out this is a part of a consistent argued reason case and it's exceptionally helpful it's an exceptionally helpful passage now it breaks down into two parts it's uh, first speak to God for people speak to God for people Uh, and and we're going to see that the second bit is speaking to people for God that's that's easy I mean it that's what I see so clear speak to God for people speak to people for God that's what we're going to see so and to say that, it, it's important to know that's his order. He's almost saying this, before we speak to people about the good news in Jesus, we need to speak to God for those people. That's the priority. The early Christian church, when it was getting a bit conf- sort of complicated as the early church grew, the Christian leaders said, look, we've got to get our priorities right as leaders. 
We've got to feed hungry widows, but we've got to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So prayer is our number one priority as Christian leaders. And when we've spent time with God in prayer, then we can then spend time speaking God's word to people. And notice what he says here. It's a passion thing. Notice the key word is not prayer. The key word is devote. That's the first one. Notice that in verse two. It's a devote yourselves to prayer. It's like, does a baby cry? Do Christians pray? Of course they do. It's one of the great signs of being a Christian believer, isn't it? I speak to God now. But when it comes to this trying to reach a community with Christian good news, it has to become a passion. It has to become a burden on your heart. It isn't just, a, oh yeah, Lord, I forgot to mention a few weeks ago, but could you remember Frida, my friend? It's, it's not a kind of leftover, back of my mind, I, I should have mentioned it before now, but I forgot type thing. It's a burden of passion. I don't know how passionate you feel about people far from God. But the man who wrote this, in another letter, he told us about his passion. If you have a Bible, turn back into Romans chapter 9 and 10. Now Romans chapters 9, 10, 11 are some of the most exalted teaching about God being ultimately the king of people's eternal destiny. God has the final word. God is what we call sovereign over all things. So in this great teaching where God is the sovereign king, you would think that prayer doesn't come into it, does he? Oh, God's already made his mind up. God's a king. How can I affect him? But Paul doesn't think that. In chapter 9, he says this, verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. What does he say? He says, while people whose DNA is in my body, whose, whose same blood is in my body, who, people who I know and love to bits, while they are not yet forgiven, I, I, my heart's broken. I, I, I don't sleep easy about this. I have unceasing anguish. And I'm not lying, I'm not exaggerating, not, it's not a preacher's hyperbole, it's not a psychological trick, it's how I feel. I feel brokenhearted about people far from God. And what do I do about it? Chapter 10, verse one. This is my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. See that? He turns his passion into prayer. Now let me ask you a question. How do you feel about people who you know and love who are not yet Christians? I have an 82-year-old mum. She's not yet, as far as I know, a Christian. Plays on my mind every day. I should pray more for her than I do. I've been praying for her since I became a Christian 40 years ago. But as yet, I can't see any chink of light. But I should be, you know, it's something that's restlessly on my heart and mind. How is it for you? Do you have a broken heart about people close to you who are not yet Christians? Well, that's this man does. And he prays about this. It's a passion 
And notice later in the, in the passage, it was read to us, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. Notice that, it's an energy thing, it's a passion thing, it's not a casual thing. He's wrestling in prayer for you. Do you ever just clear the deck, turn off the telly, mute the phone, you know, put the text machine in a bin so you can't hear it ping and just get alone with God to pray for people who'd never speak to God. I don't know what it is with you, but most of us, once we start praying, we have good intentions about praying for people far from God, but we end up praying about ourselves most of the time. And what are you about as a church? If I had uh, you know, one of these uh, clipboards, and I asked you, like, just tell me, how many, ti- how, how, many, how many minutes of your total corporate time do you spend drinking coffee? And you kind of write that down. How much of your sort of corporate time do you end up putting out kit? You write that down. How much time do you have Bible teaching? You write that down. How much time do you spend praying corporately? Write that down. And of the time you spend praying corporately, how much of that prayer time do you spend time praying for people who never pray for themselves? Let me tell you, it'll be under 5%, absolutely guaranteed. And yet you ask churches in Britain, what do they lack most? And they say, we're lacking the power of God in seeing people saved. Is it any wonder where churches in Britain get tremendous amount of Bible teaching? Terrific. But don't translate that into broken-hearted Christians who are wrestling for people far from God. We all want slick Techniques. How do I reach more people for Jesus? And the Bible's first emphasis is you get alone with God and you pour out your heart to him and tell him that your heart is broken while people you know and love aren't forgiven like you are. That's where it starts. Devote yourselves to prayer. And in one sense, the church in Britain would be transformed if churches got this big one right first, wouldn't they? If we got this right, if we said, yeah, we've cleared the deck, we just prayed and prayed and prayed. We prayed our hearts out. We bawled our eyes out. The man whose wedding I took yesterday, he's a young man, he's in his early 20s. But uh, his dad told me, he said, the thing that started off Jonathan's faith towards Christ was in a meeting where his best mate Peter started praying for Jonathan and he just started crying and praying at the same time. He said, I've never heard anything like it. Here's a young 16-year-old crying his heart out and praying his heart out for his best mate and it wasn't that much longer. Two or three years later when Jonathan became a Christian believer. It's where it starts. Devote yourselves to prayer but then notice what he says please pray for preachers pray for preachers pray for us verse 3 that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains all of us can speak to God for people but part of the thing we will need to be praying for people who've got the gift of communication 
preachers, that they may have open doors. I was talking to Pete earlier, we're talking about a visit that John Lennox made to Manchester a little while ago. And God opened a door for John Lennox to speak to hundreds of business people. That's an open door. Sometimes it's the opportunity to go and take a school assembly. Uh, it might be you go to meet a group of doctors who just want some sort of Christian input into ethics. Or it, it could be a bunch of teenagers who've got questions they want to fire at you. We need preachers to be given opportunities. We don't want them imprisoned inside even Manchester Academy on a Sunday, do we? See, we don't want them just to communicate in one place to one group of people all the time. Of course, a Christian minister spends most of his time teaching the flock of God in which he's caring for. But we want to be praying that our preachers get tremendous opportunities. Who knows what it can be? Who knows what it can be? Uh, there's a guy I know, Richard. He gets into the House of Commons to do Bible studies with MPs. I've got another friend, Andy. He goes into the prison in Milton Keynes where there are some incredibly dangerous, high security, behind loads and loads and loads of doctors locked doors prisoners and he speaks about Christ to them there's opportunities but we need God to keep opening doors just opening the doors opportunities and then pray for preachers pray for their preaching notice verse 4 pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should now I don't think when Paul says that he means that I'm a bit of a muddlehead you know and I could ramble all over the place I think what he means is this, I want it to be crystal clear that God would open their blind eyes. I once went to hear a, a, a policeman who'd become a Christian talk, and this is how he described it. He said, my wife became a Christian, uh-oh. Then my mother-in-law became a Christian, double uh-oh. I've got two women on, on my job, and I didn't want to know, but somehow they dragged me along to listen to a Christian evangelist speak I didn't want to go I wasn't going to listen but you know what the moment that man began to speak it was like my head was in a vice I was I, I, I hung on every word and that night Christ came into my life what happened the preacher preached clearly as he should it was like I can see it now that's God at work we preach Christ opens blind eyes Every minister, every preacher knows that unless God does that, well, it just goes over their heads. I have a daughter, a young daughter, she's a doctor. There's one room in the hospital. She can only do one thing in that room. It's the mortuary, and she can sign death certificates. That's all she can do in a mortuary. Well, the Bible says to us, and we heard it earlier, we are dead in sins and transgressions. transgressions. We are like dead towards God. We're inert. We're like a corpse in a mortuary. And along comes a preacher. Now you can talk to a corpse as long as you like, but nothing can happen unless God gives somebody new life. We were all once dead in transgressions. And what happened? God, who is rich in mercy, raised us up with Christ. Every Christian sharing the faith with a friend, a Christian minister preaching to hundreds, thousands, who cares how many it is. Every single person needs God to open their heart. That's why it has to be a thing of prayer, you see. The very first convert here in Europe was a lady called Lydia. The apostle Paul was preaching. 
The church did not say, oh, we've got a good guy here today. He's really good, you know, Paul. He's got great logic, brain like a beach ball, fantastic communicator, bound to see some converts today. No, we're told the first convert, as Paul spoke, the Lord opened Lydia's heart. It doesn't take long to work it out, doesn't it? If you speak to people, unless God does that, they just not interested in one sense that's a very humbling thing for preachers it does not depend on us so it should drive us to be people of prayer pray for rich and pray for mike and pray for whoever's up here speaking pete whoever's up here speaking whoever's speaking out there that's why we need to pray for one another lord make it clear you can see how Serious Paul is about this. Devote devote yourself to prayer. Pray for preaching. Pray for preachers. Pray for preaching. But then he moves on to his second issue. Speak to people for God. See that? Speak to God for people. Now speak to people for God. The second section is it we're now having spent time with God and pouring out our hearts. Now we're speaking to people. Now what does he say? And it comes as quite a surprise, doesn't it? The first surprise is wisdom. Having all that passion and concern and a sense of desperation and need and urgency, the first thing he says, verse five, is be wise. Now that's massive, isn't it? You see, Christianity is not fanaticism. Uh, If you were a, a salesperson, you'd have got the sales team like hyped up by now and say, now come on, let's go and sell the goods. But Paul says, yes, it is urgent, and I am passionate, but the first lesson when you come to bring good news to other people is be wise. You don't have to be some kind of weirdo fanatic that every person that walks by you, you have some, I've got to give you a tract or else I just can't sleep properly. I don't give you a tract or I, you know, can I tell you about Jesus? I know you're not alive, but I've got to tell you about it. No, it, it's not weird. It's be wise. Now we're all different, aren't we? I don't know what you are, but I'm a fairly shy introvert. When I first became a Christian, the church I belonged to, Pat's didn't get this very well and we had a thing called a door-to-door outreach team. I was a young guy, 18-year-old, if that's, I'm a Christian, got to do it. So you used to knock on strangers' doors and say, like, I'm, I, I'm a Christian, I'm from the church, can I tell you about Jesus? I would be praying as I walked up the garden path, I hope they're outlawed. <laughs> you know, I hate that kind of thing. I'm, I, you know, I'm nervous anyway, and people are rude and aggressive. And You see, I wasn't being who I am. If somebody got into a discussion with me, that's fine. I don't mind complicated questions and discussion. It's just meeting strangers. That, but you might be a person who loves meeting strangers. Great. We've got a guy at home. He, he, does, he just gets into conversations on the street. He works for an organization where he just gets in conversations with people. He loves meeting strangers. That's his shape. That's the way he's wired. But you can be who you are. You could be a bookish person. And you love passing on books. Or you love just greeting and meeting and being friendly. You can be who you are. You need to be wise. The culture is constantly moving. What used to work doesn't work now. We're now in a far more personal thing. In a sense, it's really good. If Christians who are in a relationship with God can be relational to other people, 
It's almost as if, well, you don't have to go meet a bunch of strangers. One of the things we learned was a man called David Bennett, he, he interviewed 400 adults who became Christians. And what he found was quite fascinating. It really, really helped me. He said 92% of adults in his survey, and he did a very thorough survey, 92% said they already knew a Christian, and 86% said that was highly significant in me becoming a Christian. In fact, after being prayed for, having a relationship with a Christian who invited me along to something was the second most important thing in my conversion. Now I thought, right, what does that mean? It means this. The people who are most likely to convert to Christ, you already know them. They already know you. The fact there's some kind of relationship with you, some friendship with you, means that their trust is already beginning to be built up. They still might not understand, they may be quite ignorant of the Christian faith, but the fact that they know you, perhaps even like you, trust you, there's a relationship there, that relationship can be the means of wisely inviting them along to things. Now I play sport, I've been playing sport with a whole bunch of guys for years now, we've all grown old together. If I could tell you I'm I'm the teen's youth policy at age 58, it gives you an idea how old the team I play for is. The oldest team member, Mike, is 71. He was born in World War II. Unbelievable. He's still playing sport, can't believe it. Um, and we get on well. Now, my mates, when I think of like what's wise, they'll come to a sports quiz because they're sports guys. They'll come to a sports quiz with a Christian message, but they wouldn't come to a picnic in the park because it's not them. Some of them have come along to church but not many yet. Some have read books. One guy wants to talk personally, and we're going to go and see him in a couple of weeks' time. He lives in the south of France. It's a long way to go to have a meeting with a mate, but combine it with a holiday, it's okay, isn't it? That's wisdom, you see. You can use wisdom. It's not one size fits all. People access the pathways to Christ are many and varied. You can use your wisdom. But then notice, secondly, it may be wise, but it's not cowardly. Don't hide from, like, I'm only acting wisely. You know, I haven't, I've known this person for 35 years. And I haven't even told them I'm a Christian yet. I'm just trying to be wise. No, that's not wise. That's just ducking the issue, isn't it? No, notice this. He says, be wise, but make the most of every opportunity. That's an energetic word. Make the most of every opportunity. It's, it's, it's the word from the Greek marketplace, the agora. And what he's saying is, this is bargain hunt time. Be wise, yes, but when God gives you opportunities, seize the day. Put all the energy in. What's the best time to buy food at a market? Towards when it's closing. Why? Because the market stallholders think, right, it's four o'clock, the market closes at half past four. We do not want to take all this produce home in the truck. And you can see, and what was once a pound for a, you know, four or five oranges is now a pound for the whole box. And you can see, you just bide your time, you can watch them. They go, pound to you, pound to you. And they're like, I'll tell you what, you can have the whole box for a pound. That's when you seize the bargain, isn't it? My wife is in there then. She's there, she's going right. She comes home laden with stuff. Look what I got on the market. Because the market stall holders were like, I don't want to take it home. You can have it virtually for nothing. 
See, you see all the energy? Now, you, some of you are like that when you shop, aren't you? I can tell you. I can see. Some of you armed with a credit card and bargains in Manchester. You can do it. And you use the same energy, the same sort of initiative, but with the good news of Christ when you get the opportunity to. We sometimes talk at home. God gives us opportunities, all differently. But when an opportunity comes, do not take a cowardly way out. Take a courageous way in. You, you, you told me having some problems at work. What does that mean? Well, actually, I'm having problems at work because I'm having problems in my marriage. Well, do you, could I, do, you, do you want to talk about that? Could I pray for you? Let me tell you, that's how a friend of mine became a Christian. He'd been fixing my car for five or six years. I had a Fiat. It was always fix it again, Tony. It was always needing fixing. And I would just, in no point, drop the car off. And So I would stop and we'd just chat and we'd just chat about his kids and my kids and sport and nothing happens for about five, six, seven years. Then one evening he said, could I talk to you about my marriage? Could I talk to you about my marriage? And that led to a journey to him becoming a Christian. Make the most of every opportunity. So, the surprise is wisdom, the energy, it's bargain hunt the way graciously. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Now notice this, we haven't yet got round to what you say. It's the way you say it that comes first. If you say, I love you, you just heard I'm being told off, don't you? If I say, I love you, she goes, like, what are you on? You know? <laughs> I, I've got a friend, he's Spanish, and he says it. I, I, I don't like my wife listening to his tapes because he's got such a voice. I love you. You see? And you think, yeah, the tone, manner, the way you say what you say. Now he's saying this. When it comes to communicating the faith, you will need to be gracious. That means you don't have to win every argument. Doesn't mean you don't have to put everybody right on every issue. You are not their lifestyle referee. You're not, you, know, you don't have to tell them everything in one go. Graciously means what will be coming back at you might not be easy to cope with, might not be nice, might be fairly insulting, and you don't give it back. When it says, let your conversation be always full of grace, he's not talking about the Christian idea of grace. You know, I've got to tell them about the Christian idea of grace. He says, no, what he means is, You've got to act graciously. You've got to bless those who don't deserve to be blessed. You've got to love the unlovely. You've got to be patient with the awkward. A spirit of kindness towards the downright nasty. That's how you're to be. The tone comes first because people remember that almost more than anything else. But then the content seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer everyone be wise make the most of the opportunity be gracious don't be touchy don't be touchy in fact the opposite of being touchy but then when you do come to speak say something worthwhile when this man Paul spoke in Athens he had a whole load of people who said we want to hear you again some actually became Christians that day but a whole load of others said we want to hear you again I want to come back for more 
Now, I don't know about you, I love crisps. You know, crisps? You say, yeah, it shows, shows around, you know. I love crisps, but if you're a crisp aficionado, you will know there is only one brand and there is only one flavor. Walker's Cheese and Onion. Unbeatable. Once they're open, that's it. The bigger the bag, the better. Now, you might be salt, you know, you know, salt and vinegar or you know, something dreadful like hedgehog flavor or something, like, I don't know. But you know, some food is like, it's so tasty that you're gonna come back for more. He says, you be like that. Don't be bland. Don't be dull, boring, predictable. When you speak as a Christian, speak about really important things. So communicate your, your faith in Christ, your enthusiasm for Christ, how it's really helped you know that you're, you know, you're on your way to God's eternal kingdom, that it's made all the difference to you, that it's the most important thing that God has, you know, the most important thing you ever can find, and it's true, and it's reasonable, and on and on it goes. Things that people go, wow, I, I never knew that. We want people to come back for more, seasoned with salt. Whereas many of us as Christians, we use so much jargon that don't, people don't understand a word of what we're talking about. Uh, we, we play safe. We always mix with other Christians because we feel safe. No, Paul says, say something worthwhile. I, I had a chap the other day I met him. He had been a Jehovah's Witness for 40 years. 40 years. And he said, I met some Christians. I was doing some door-to-door work, as the Jehovah's Witnesses do a lot. And I met these Christians, and they so spoke to me about their personal relationship with God and how it brought them new peace and joy and hope. He said, I've got to find out about what you believe. He is now a Christian believer. Because the Christians he spoke to spoke of that deep, real, genuine, personal relationship with God that cults can't offer. They talk about it, but they don't know the experience of it. But these Christians spoke so warmly that this man was gripped despite having 40 years of being in a kind of cult-like environment. Quite remarkable. Seasoned with salt. So when he says you may know how to answer everyone, he doesn't mean he'll answer everybody's questions on everything. He doesn't mean that. He means that you, you're so able to commit and commend the faith that people go, ah, right. I want to hear you again. And some of them, in time, by the grace of God, will say, I now believe too. And notice then, what's the result? What comes next? Well, in the English, a full stop. A full stop. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? If your church wants to ensure that people all around here and all around where you live got to hear the gospel, if you speak to God for them and speak to them for God as God gives you opportunities, they will hear. And as they hear and believe, they will communicate to people they know and they will hear and believe and Christian faith just keeps on growing. You do not need to get... A, it's great if you get a world-famous superstar evangelist comes to Manchester. But you see, if we had to wait for world-famous superstar evangelists to come to where we are, we aren't going to see many people become Christians. Paul says to a fairly small church in a far off place, this is how the gospel gets to everyone around you. Which means it's doable, isn't it? It's doable for them, it's doable for you, it's doable for us in Bedford. If we take what this passage says seriously, 
We can trust God at the full stop moment. Said, Father, we've prayed our hearts out and we've used the opportunities you've given us. We entrust you with the results. And you can, in one sense, sleep easy at night. What a remarkable passage. Well, just to conclude then. Conclusion, what is a Christian church? Is it a cruise liner where basically we come along and get served and the more senior Christians spend all their lives make, looking after all our needs. Some kind of, and some of you, do you want to travel in luxury, top, you know, deck nine luxury? Or you, you know, is it a cruise liner? Is it a battleship? Is it a lifeboat? We try and talk to folks back at home and say, don't let the church become a cruise liner as it grows. Like, I'm here and you lot are here to look after me. No, we are a lifeboat. And lifeboats serve in rough, tough weather. And the whole aim is to get those people who are drowning into a safe place. Which do you think is more like a Christian church? Cruise liner or a lifeboat? The message of Colossians 4 is written to help us and stir us. And in one sense, the real hard work now begins, doesn't it? Having heard all that, are we going to translate it into real action in our personal lives and in our life together as a church? And who knows what God might do if we take him at his word. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more, or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.